Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 45. We are approaching the big 5-0, only a few episodes to go, and we are very, very happy to have you with us. We are having a conversation every single week about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Uh, and having that conversation is me. I'm one of your hosts, Reed Lackey, and... Me! I'm your other host, Nathan Rouse. <laughs> How you doing, Nathan? I'm I am good, man. I'm not in the laundry room today. Um, I know, I can tell. I yeah, can see the the back you of your of your house. Yeah. There's no like bric-a-brac hanging behind me. Um, That's true. Yeah, I'm doing well. I, I mean, I'm in an empty home. My family is in out of town for the moment. Not because you did anything uh, with them. Nothing horrific happened. You know. No, right? no, no, no. Way to way to make a dark turn there, Reed. Thanks. <laughs> We're getting getting things started in true fashion. But no, otherwise <laughs> I am doing well. Cool. Reed, I don't know. Uh, oh, wait, you you got an announcement, a final announcement? I do. Yes. Okay. So it's just a very brief announcement. We just want to let you know that the nominations are closed for hashtag I love the nineties. I want to thank all of our listeners. We we got, to be honest with you, way more submissions of distinct films than I thought we were going to get. We got uh more than 115 submissions of different films. I thought a lot of people would say the same kind of films or, you know, we'd maybe get a pool of like 50 or 60, but man, our listeners have some diverse tastes. And uh, we got more than 115 films, unique films nominated. So we're closing the nominations. Wait for some instructions in uh, in, in a few weeks. We're going to tell you how we're going to do the voting to actually rank them for our upcoming series in October. But for now, the nominations are closed. If you were curious about what films got nominated, you you can go to Letterboxd. That's just L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. There's no E between the X and the D. Go to Letterboxd.com and search for the profile for The Fear of God. You'll see hashtag I Love the 90s nominees. And uh, there's some there's some interesting films there. Seven or eight that I'd never seen before, which make me Whoa. very, very excited. Yeah. So I didn't, um, know those, I didn't know those existed. I didn't either until I saw this. Clearly, uh, you this didn't list. either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Else you'd so, have seen thank them. you again, listeners. Yeah, we were really, uh, really glad to have so much participation in that and uh, excited for, to see how the ranked list turns out as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, now that that little bit of business is out of the way, I'm, I'm curious, my friend, uh, just to know, like, what you watching? Mm-mm. What you reading? What you listening to? Oh, you put a little, you like that? A little soul on the end. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, a little yeah. soul. You know I me? hear you. I you hear know you. me. <laughs> um, well, listeners are probably sick of hearing about this, so uh, you'll be happy to know that I have finished End of Watch. Oh, you, you've you reached the end of End of Watch. I reached the end of End of Watch, yeah. I mean, overall, uh, Finders Keepers and End of Watch are kind of in the same bucket for me, but for different reasons. 
won't say too much about it. Just Mr. Mercedes is a brilliant book. Everybody should go out and read Mr. Mercedes. Um, I think avid fans of Stephen King or even the moderately curious would find something to glean from Finders, Keepers and End of Watch. But Mr. Mercedes is really the the meaty anchor of, of that storyline. Uh, I was satisfied with End of Watch for the most part. I feel like both of those books, Finders, Keepers and End of Watch, suffer a bit uh, structurally, there's some things that I would have done differently in terms of when we receive certain scenes or certain pieces of information. But overall, I mean, Stephen King knows what he's doing. He's been doing this a long time and he's very, very good. Um, you, you and I had several conversations about, um, the Hodges trilogy off pod. I, I like Finders Keepers more than I think you did, but, but, uh, you know, I, I still, you definitely did. I would agree that. Um, Mr. Mercedes is the strongest pound for pound of the three. Yeah. I mean, did you, you know, so, so spoiler alert for anyone who is interested in reading these books, we'll, we'll chat openly about them for a moment. You and I had talked, um, on the phone about end of watch. Did you end up feeling similarly? So what I had described was they give you everything you need to know very early and then spend most of the book telling you how you got there. And in a way that felt, not very valuable in terms of your time reading the book. Sure. You know I mean? I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially when it came to sort of the backstory with what was happening with Brady and how Brady came to acquire the method powers, of execution that he, yeah, the powers, if you want to call it that. That was part of the thing. That was the big sections of the book that started to drag for me. But in terms of in that entire trilogy, and this is actually my big ding against Finders Keepers, is when I'm spending time with Hodges as a character or especially Hodges and Holly, I'm I'm really enjoying myself. Really doesn't matter what they're talking about or what they're doing. I just I, those are really strong characters, which we know that's King's strength as a writer is he just creates compelling characters. And so whenever I'm spending time with Hodges and Holly, um, then I'm really engaged. And whenever we're getting to the other stuff, the minutia of the threat or the story, I just don't I just don't have as much investment in that. And with Mister Mercedes. You're with Brady Hartsfield for quite a bit of time, but you're the, the lion's share of your time is spent with Hodges. So sure. that's why that's a big reason why Mr. Mercedes is so compelling is because Hodges as a character is compelling. The situation is, too. But and that's what I liked about End of Watch versus Finders Keepers is you do spend quite a bit of time with Hodges. But I definitely agree with you that there was just a lot of what I would consider maybe sort of fat on the story. And uh, well, I would, and, I would and have excised away a lot of that. Humorously. Uh, as has happened before with me in reading a Stephen King book, uh, this case, it's, it's a trilogy of books. I got really excited because in, uh, Mr. Mercedes in total and Finders Keepers, 99.9% of them are utterly in the real. I mean, these, they take place in the yes. real world. You totally, it's just real, real characters, real events. There's nothing supernatural or fantastical about it, which I can handle and like in general, but, with King, I enjoy seeing his take on actual, more realistic things sure. often. Um, and so, of course, then you get the end of watch, which invokes an extreme leap in, mm -hmm. in, in going from natural to supernatural and in, sure. in, in, in a way that was like, okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> right. I've seen this in every X-Men comic book for 30 years, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right. looking for something a little different anyway. So that's, that's a little bit of your, what you're watching. So, um, to, to further your, what you're watching and mine as well, read now that you have seen it, we can talk about the woman of wonder. 
Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I, saw that, I saw that a couple of weeks ago and just abstained from talking about it on the podcast because I knew you hadn't seen it yet. And so here we are. So we've both seen Wonder Woman. Great yes. movie. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Not that's not a pun. Like it's it really is a great movie. Um, <laughs> but you know what was funny? I wasn't I wasn't wondering if that was a pun. <laughs> you know what's funny for me, and I don't know if you'd feel the same way. A lot of people are talking about like, oh, it's so different. It's you know, it's a it's a sharp left turn for the DC EU. You know, as it were. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I actually felt like tonally, it didn't feel that different from the rest of. It didn't feel that different to me in tone. From Man of Steel or even maybe Batman versus Superman. It felt drastically different from Suicide Squad, but it didn't even really feel that different for me in tone. I feel like just for me, the narrative and the themes held together more cohesively than they do for me in those other two films. Well, so it, it seemed I to think, fit well for me, but I think I understand what you're saying. I'm gonna, I'm going to. <clears throat> without, you know, you and I didn't have a whole conversation about this. So, so we're kind of stumbling into this together here, but I will disagree in the sense that. I don't, uh, there are many ways in which I don't think Suicide Squad just works as a movie at all. Um, right. Uh, much, favorite. much, much less if you're going to try to mine it for any sort of thematic material. It's not to be found. Um, I right. think Batman and Superman is, is a, is an attempt at forced world building in a way that makes one movie feel like 15. Um, and Man of Steel was Zack Snyder's attempt to, you know, emo Superman for the postmodern generation. So I feel like the uh, directness and the blatant thematic elements of Wonder Woman being a character distinctly and unashamedly for hope and in the words of the character love, you know, it is a dramatic pivot from the, mm. from the maudlin, melancholy, dark, you know, Superman is forced to save his dad or his dog and he chooses a dog sort of <laughs> conundrums. Um, I just think Wonder Woman chooses to say that's a false choice as a story and as a character. And I think it really executed well. And on top of that, uh, Wonder Woman was smart, uh, whether this is a Patty Jenkins choice or whoever designed it before her. Uh, Wonder Woman is its own movie, so it doesn't yeah. suffer. And, you know, even to dig a little bit at Marvel, who I enjoy, you know, head and shoulders above most of what DC's producing movie wise, um, even Marvel has succumbed to its own weight, uh, in a number of cases. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think Wonder Woman is a very compact, clever, um, you could say it has echoes of First Avenger and those might be, that might be a, a, a reasonable criticism, but First Avenger 1 is a really good movie. Um, so, yeah. you know, what does it matter if they're that close, uh, in narrative? But I sure. do think there's something strong about the expression of the Wonder Woman character being what she is in that movie that, that, right. Right. that is a, a, is more of a unique perspective for a character than we've seen in a while and definitely to me than we've seen in the DC movies yeah yeah i agree and man gal gadot just she just embodies everything that that character needed to a to a degree that i didn't necessarily think was possible even though i was i was always kind of for the casting choice but yeah she she did an outstanding job she was she was really amazing in that role well and it's it's funny i i tweeted um something shortly after seeing wonder woman that you know <laughs> 
I don't know. I couldn't help reflect on this. You, you know, I, I come from a sort of a, a house full of women. Um, I have sort of chosen to to adopt a bit of a feminist perspective with a lot of the media I consume these days. And I couldn't help for some reason, you know, on, on, on paper, these two things seem utterly unrelated, but I feel like there's some connective tissue here. The scene in Wonder Woman where Diana ascends the ladder to, to enter no man's land. Yes. You know, my favorite you, sequence. In yeah. Movie. Yeah. I mean, many people's and rightly so, but the way it shots, you got Patty Jenkins, the, the director clearly coming from a very particular sp- perspective. This is going to seem like out of left field, but it made me think of, did you see the first Transformers movie? Yeah. The very first one. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, um, <laughs> to each their own, but, but, um, specifically <laughs> like what, specifically want, to, what I want to pick on is the introduction of, uh, Megan Fox's character in that movie. Um, oh, well, that was ridiculous. Feels, yes. Like the treatment of females in the entire oh, my gosh. franchise is awful. I didn't see beyond the first one, but, you know, th- you, you look at the Transformers introduction of Megan Fox and the camera basically makes love to her and, and even more grotesque words than that in a way that makes you feel dirty. It's very lusty. It's very, you know, I'm not going to use the word pornographic necessarily, but it has this, like, you are meant to salivate over this character. Like that is mm-hmm. what the camera wants you to do. That's what Michael Bay wants you to do. Cause that's what he is doing. And then you have a Patty Jenkins, uh, more or less the introduction of wonder woman in the movie is that scene, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've seen kind of Diana it's the first time she's fully in costume. Right. Right. Yeah. And she is regal. And she is, you know, majestic. And, and there's something so much more attractive to that. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I just found that a really interesting juxtaposition and, you know, may seem like what a random connection to make, but just, just, no, I don't think so. You know, how you can shoot these things in a way that still enhances the allure of the physical person while not making you feel like a lech for watching the stupid movie, you know? Right. Anyway, right, right, right. Wonder yeah, Woman, Wonder Woman. I enjoyed it. Big thumbs up. Yeah. I, I got to take my wife to do that. I, I Facebooked out. I'm taking my Wonder Woman to see that other one. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, it might be, it's in my top like two or three for the year so far. I, I just really loved it. So today, uh, so. not, not at all. Speaking of movies, uh, we're doing something a little different, listeners. What's you your, may have what's noticed. Your, what you're reading, Reed? What you're reading? <laughs> uh, you know, we we talk often about well, we have in the past about how we want to branch off because we are specifically the intersection of Christianity and the horror genre, not just Christianity and horror films. Uh, even though 95 percent of what we cover, maybe a higher percentage than that, is films and is going to be. Um, occasionally, we'll branch off and cover some different forms of media. And today, we specifically wanted to um, enter back into the library, as it were, and uh, and open up a book, although it's not quite a full book. It's just a brief little short story. So, yeah, we wanted to talk today about a, a short story that's over 100 years old. It's, about, it's almost 120 years old at this point, but might be well known to some of our listeners called The Monkey's Paw. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what delighted me is when we were talking about what some of our upcoming episodes might be, and I had mentioned maybe we dive back into the literary world for a second. I was thrilled at your enthusiasm when Monkey's Paw came up. So, so I want to know your association with this story. Like, what what history do you have? Is it just a story that you're familiar with and and like a lot, 
or um, yeah, what, what's the story mean to you? Yeah, I am a fan of this story. I can't remember what, a, you know, I mean, I'm sure I, I went to a, a liberal arts high school and we, you know, read all the all the books and the things or, or we were supposed to at least and many of us just cliffs noted them. But uh, at some point during my formative years, I did read The Monkey's Paw and you know, this is just one of those stories clearly <clears throat> that stays with you. I mean, not just because of the um, the sharpness of some of the narrative, but also the themes are very on the nose or even just the theme. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to yeah. argue there's a bunch at work here. Although well, it's funny in terms of association. So re uh, listeners won't know this, but um, much of my high school days, um, not my first job, but I think my second was at a Christian bookstore and that began in, I think my early junior year of high school and carried on through the rest of my high school days. So my joke to you read was you spent your high school days in a, in a video rental store. And so watched all the movies. I spent my high school days in a Christian bookstore and spent all my money on Christian music, CCM, you know, just God love it. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if he actually does really, but um, <laughs> <laughs> at least much of it. Um, just, we need to give a moment of silence and pour out a cold one for CCM. Cause it is. Yeah. It's it not there dead. anymore. I literally yeah. actually, this, this is a random interlude. I read an article the other day that was specifically about how, that CCM is dead. And, and it, yeah. it was, it was from a, a news source. And it was, it was interesting that this particular source was writing this article, but saying how, you know, as so many industries do, unfortunately, in this case, it was religiously themed one, uh, money caught hold and everybody said, well, you, to make money, you got to make a worship album. So everybody made a worship album and then yep. the, the market imploded. Anyway, yeah. where I'm going with that no is, and interestingly enough, I do think this band, did they end up doing a worship album? I don't know if they did or not, but, um, <laughs> there, was, there was a band actually from Georgia, um, my home state. Um, I don't know how much there is to be proud of being from Georgia these days, but called the small town poets who I think their first album was just self-titled, but on their first album, um, was a song called the monkey's paw. And it's just, you know, dealing with these exact same themes. And so, you know, I, <clears throat> I I'm not going to like demand that you play that as our outro on the, on the <laughs> podcast, but it would be a fun nod to, we'll see, we'll see what we can work out. Yeah. To mid to late nineties CCM. It'd feel appropriate. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I actually really dug that band, uh, at least that first album and, and that song has some fun, fascinating, fun fondness for me. And in fact, the other day after reading the story, I listened to the song a couple of times, just, you know, just get in the headspace of the monkey's I get paw. You. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always enjoyed the material and that, you know, that's where some of that association comes from. Yeah. Well, and it's, it really is, it really is a brilliant little short story. One of the things I love about it, I mean, there's, there's really not much in the way of trivial bits. It's obviously the, it's written by a man named, uh, WW Jacobs first published in 1902. Um, it was later collected in, a work called uh, The Lady of the Barge, which is a just a collection of short stories by W.W. W. Jacobs. And so, I mean, it's it's such a tight little story. But one of the things that I love about it is that it's rather timeless. Yeah, I was I was reflecting when I was looking at this and there's I don't know if this was intentional on his part, but there are so few chronological call outs like. Uh, he you doesn't like talk about, you know, like time, timelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying? There's no yeah, anachronism yeah. to the story. It's very, it's very bare. We're not given a very robust description of the house. You know, we're just not shown anything 
of the time period that we're set in. So you would presume that it's taking place in the contemporary setting of the early 20th century. Um, but it plays just as well. I, I could easily be reading a story from right. from yesterday, and uh, and I found that quite brilliant. Um, well, it's let, me, also, let me ask you this. So, uh, not to cut you off really abruptly there, but I feel fine. like this uh, material warrants a, 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 a back and forth in a good way. So, I am just struck what I wrote down, and this you know this doesn't get into any of our normal format at all. But just a thought was like short the short story format. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's arguable how much literature has an impact on culture at all right now anyway, but right. specifically the short story, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that this, that this was written 120 years ago because can you point to something with this level of staying power since then that would fit that kind of format? I don't know. It's just fascinating. And I think is it, to to further affirm what you're saying kind of further solidifies that timelessness. I mean, right. You've got a very bare bones, uh, scenario, uh, mother, father, son, uh, you know, adult son in a home mm-hmm. and takes in a visitor and there you go. Like that's, that's, that's really it. Yeah. That's and, it. Yeah. Although it's funny, I, I shared this with you, but if anyone decides to read this, uh, short story, so I downloaded, Which please do. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely worth your time. Easy, easy read, a uh, quick read. I downloaded the dollar version, the 99 cent version from Amazon, uh, for a trip we just went on. And, you know, Amazon will tell you the, the page count of books. Right, right, right. But what's fun about Amazon doing that is sort of like in the movie. If you know a movie is 120 minutes, what you can really presume is it's about 112 minutes. Cause then there's going to be like eight minutes of credits. The so credits. If yeah. If you're trying right, to watch right. it at night, you can sort of know, okay, this is how much time I got. Well, same, same with the stories. Well, this particular edition, Amazon, cited as having like 50 pages. It's like, oh, that's oh, cool. That, that's an easy sure. read. That's a, no problem. You know, kind of an hour tops. Um, so it's, it had been years since I've physically read the book or read the story. So I didn't remember actually how long it was. And, and sure enough, the story's playing out and Sergeant Major Morris leaves and right. wish one happens and then wish two happens. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is just clipping along. <laughs> but, but according to Amazon, according to my Kindle, it was at like, you know, 30% or 40% red, you know, of this material. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And sure enough, uh, I get to like the 50% mark and it just ends, you know, with yeah. the third, the third wish. And I was like, what in the world? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have read that so quickly, but it had all this like bibliography material in the back of this edition. So, you know, yeah. their, their yeah. 50 pages was really like, 30. Uh, um, oh, so yeah, it was, sure, sure. It was pretty funny, which is arguable that that's even a, you know, legitimate gauge, know, you know, because I, I, I remember when I, when I pulled it up, I have a habit on my, at my work breaks of walking and reading. Um, I'm kind of known for that actually among some of my friends because they'll, I, I walk along this main. Is that why you always have like these goose eggs on your forehead and stuff? And no, you know, no, I actually, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite <laughs> adept at it. I actually am really, really good at doing this. Um, so, uh, I get two 15 minute breaks throughout the day and, and either a half hour or an hour lunch, depending on my work level. And, um, so I, I started it on one of my 15 minute breaks and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll get most of the way through this story and then finish it, you know, on my lunch break or whatever. So I started it as soon as I started my 15 minute break and read the last sentence as I'm 
walking back and concluding my 15 minute break. So it, <laughs> listeners out there who are curious, it takes about 15 minutes to read this story. Right. Right. It is so That's brief, great. but, and you but feel again, accomplished, right? You I mean, oh, yeah. you complete something. You're like, cool. Yeah. Did that. Absolutely. Check Absolutely. that off the bucket list. Monkey's paw red. <laughs> Don't make any wishes, but I can read it pretty quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and and that's part of what I love about it. I've already we've already mentioned the timelessness. Uh, I love the economy of the narrative. I love the tone. Are we, are, wait, wait, are you in trivial bits or are you in likes dislikes? Oh no, I had one trivial bit, and that was who wrote. Oh it when well, I'm going to throw it. another like, trivial bit at you. I'm going to surprise right. you and have a trivial bit here. I was astonished to see you might know this, but you didn't toss it out, so I'm going to um, go go for it. In 2004, there was an adaptation of it as a radio play narrated by Mr. Christopher Lee. Um, oh, did, did you know did he had know like a, it, it says as part of a radio drama series of his called Christopher Lee's Fireside Tales. Did you know this existed? I have heard of that. I did not. Are you know just saying that because I just threw it at you? And no, 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 no. I'm an avid listener to radio <laughs> dramas, both old sure. and new. I knew that Christopher Lee's Fireside Tales existed. Right. But I've never heard an episode of it and did not know that he had adapted Monkey's Paw for an episode of that show. But that, you know, you got to imagine that's going to be a pretty awesome listen with Christopher Lee reading oh, Monkey's yes. Paw. Oh, and yeah. And you're oh, about yeah. to Saruman. I'm going to have to try to s- seek that out. That would be oh, I know. fun. Um, well, you you were rattling off some likes, dislikes. Well, I think feel like I cut you off in the middle of one. What was what no, were you no, no? That's fine. Uh, I was just gonna say that I, you know I love the I love the tone of the story. It's got this ominous tone to it. And you know what's funny is you've mentioned you mentioned. I'm really glad you brought up that Christopher Lee thing because the film has actually or the the story has actually been adapted multiple times. There has been adapted like. 50 or 60 times. Well, that's so easy. It's so short. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple and the structure is really solid. So it's easy to adapt, but none of the adaptations hold the the power of the actual story. Like I was sitting there looking it up and I was, I was even doing like some cursory Google searches like, Hey, what's a good version of a monkey's paw and everything. There's really not one. Like, like there may be some that are pretty cool or some that are liked better than others, but uh, there's really no cinematic representation of this story that packs the power or the cultural impact of just the text itself. Um, and I think that's that's noteworthy because, yeah, it's it's really sound like you can find as brilliant as Christmas Carol is. There are really good versions of a Christmas Carol out there. But, you know, Monkey's Paw, they just can't seem to capture in film the power that they managed to capture that Jacobs managed to capture on the on the page. So I just love that. Um, I'm going to forego any likes and dislikes and just give you one love read is what I love. What I wrote down in all caps is all the words. I'm a sucker for what my uh, junior year English teacher would call delicious words. Like, Oh, and I love how on the Kindle, I don't know how much Kindle reading you do on the Kindle. You can, Quite a bit. If, you, if you don't know the word, at least on the one I've got, you can press down on it and hold it and it'll store it away. It'll, one, it'll define it for you. But also then you, you basically have this vocabulary bucket that you can go peruse of all the books you've read and all the words you pulled out. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, yeah. you talk about the timelessness of this. I will challenge you and say, um, the only thing that ties this to a particular time and place is that it's actually written uh, so well, because we're idiots yeah. in our day and time <laughs> and we don't understand good words and oh we see gosh, big words man. and we're like, Oh, I don't know what that says or means. So I don't, I'm <laughs> going to go read twilight instead. Um, oh my God. but I'm going to give you some read. I'm going to give you some of the words. Okay. I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm excited. I've got to hear four that. particular ones. And this is, a, this is like 30 pages. So that's basically what, like 
one every 10, one every sure, seven sure, pages yeah, or yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so in order from, from least best to most awesome, and none of them are bad, one, the first one is Doughty. Doughty oh. read D O U G H T Y. I was in from it looks like doughy at first until you realize it means brave. And I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I'm happy for it to mean both, you know, doughy and brave. That would be a great combination <laughs> to be able to have. The, um, the next one is, uh, Rubicund. Oh, oh, yes. Rubicund. Yes. We use that in a sentence. Uh, <laughs> this is, I was like the spelling champion through much of my elementary and middle school days. It kind of fell That's off hilarious. in high school. But, um, so Rubicund means a ruddy complexion. This is fun. Um, I, I'm enjoying this. The next two, uh, the next one, I'm going to have a hard time even saying it, but it's, Antimacassar. Antima- <laughs> anti- <laughs> Sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Exactly. That's the one Snape uses. Uh, antima- oh, okay. an- well, what's hilarious is the word is like antimacassar, antimacassar or something. But literally all it means is like a cloth placed over a chair. It's like a particular type of cloth. And it's like, come on, y'all. I mean, I think that's awesome, but there are easier ways to get there aren't there Um, that is hilarious the last one and my most favorite which has nothing to do with its meaning uh its meaning actually means an excessively fond of drinking alcohol but um i just love the way it rolls off the tongue the word is bibulous 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 isn't that an amazing word i'm gonna say (laughs) start using that i'm gonna seek out places where I can use the word yes. fibulous yes. and and have people and have people look at me so funny. But the, my favorite part about it is that if I use that word, there are going to be some people in the room who are going to pretend like they know what I'm talking about. My wife will not be one of them. My wife will call me out for, will you please use words that normal people use? <laughs> but, <laughs> well, what will be really amazing is when you say something like, because of my bibulousness, I now have an appearance of a Rubicund nature. <laughs> or, or, yes. or when the, you know, when uh, the waiter comes to the table, can I yes. refill your glass of wine? No, I'm, I'm not that bibulous tonight. <laughs> no, right, 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 right. And he'll just like, be like, thank you, sir. Oh, my and, gosh, and then you can hilarious. say, uh, I'm going to go to the restroom, waiter. Will you please leave my anti-makasar on the back of my chair <laughs> when I go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love, love it. it. So yes, that's my likes, dislikes is all the great words, bibulous. It is a uh, yeah, there and that is something that I think is a lost art. There are there are plenty of amazing writers still producing amazing fiction right now, but uh but yeah, vocabulary is something that is underappreciated. Well, you and I you and I joke talking about Stephen King. Stephen King's a fantastic writer, but he has like one or two really big words that he goes to. <laughs> he goes back to the well. So you've got like WW, what's his face here? What's his last name? Jacobs? WW yeah. Jacobs, um, yeah. WWJD right here. And he's <laughs> dropping he's dropping all these big words. So it's like the bread is leavened. The bread of the story is leavened with big words. It's seasoned. It's all throughout. Whereas Stephen King, it feels like you just got a really bite of a lot of saltiness. You know, it's like <laughs> you're reading books about zombies or whatever or dome structures and then you'll stumble on apotheosis right like, which, which he uses like he does every book. it's like every book you can find it it's like a drinking game if you, <laughs> if you for the for the not very bibulous because you're not really going to get drunk on <laughs> one <laughs> so, so. oh my god you didn't know this was going to be this fun of an episode it makes you want to seek out more of this guy's material it does you can yeah. you can take control of the podcast again <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. That was that was delightful. Um, 
I really like the in terms of scares. Like once the once the setup comes, it's it, it's really very unsettling and unnerving. But it is hard to not be a little disturbed in your heart and your guts when Mrs. White is rushing towards the door as the pounding is getting more and more voracious and Mr. White is frantically trying to clutch the paw before she opens the door. Right. Um, I could not remember. I, I'd read this story, obviously, uh, probably a couple of times before, but it had been so long that I could not remember if she made it to the door before he made the wish and if she opened it up and actually saw something on the other side of the door right, right. Um, or not. So I was genuinely pretty like, what, what am I about, what am I about to encounter? Like, like I couldn't remember if there was a description in there of what, of what had happened or, or not. I don't know how spoilery we want to be for the story. I kind of, we kind of have to it's, be. It's like 20 pages. Come on. You know. Okay. So listeners, if you're sitting here listening to this, like it's public domain, pull it up on Google text, pause, pause the podcast and read the story. And then join us for the thematic part of the conversation. Welcome back. Um, so it was, uh, if you've just read the story, you know that I didn't know whether or not the sun was going to be on the other side of the door and whether or not it was going to be, you know what it reminded me of is it reminded me of, speaking of Stephen King, uh, Pet Cemetery. You've read that uh, book, right? That puts you off of Stephen King, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's freaky. Just this yeah. idea of, oh my gosh, they wished for him back, but now what is he? What does he look like? Oh, good Lord. So I didn't know if we were going to get right. a description or not. And I was kind of getting a little freaked out. And that was, that was it. Well, and, and to the, um, you know, you, you encourage readers or listeners to go read it, which I would certainly do that. Cause, cause our, uh, 2017 vernacular doesn't do justice to words like Bibulus and Rubicon, but just to summarize <laughs> it, I mean, you know, it's spoiler central around here to summarize it. This family has a, a wartime friend show up. He, you know, through a circumstance of a series of events, leaves them with this monkey's paw that grants three wishes. They wish for $200 to pay off their house. That wish comes true by way of accidentally killing their son in a factory accident and they get paid by the company. The second wish is for the son to come back. Um, he shows up at the door 10 nights after he's dead. Uh, the husband fears for what is behind the door. And so before the mom can get to it, she would, the dad wishes for him to not be there, but. Mm. So I just spoiled it all for you. And Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and so for me, there were two kind of scares, um, that really stuck out one and both of them just because of kind of the ominous nature of them. One is when, so the, the wartime friend who shows up, the character's name is Sergeant Major Morris. And he's telling the story of the monkey's paw. They got it in India. It was bewitched by a fakir there. And the previous owner, so it, it was, it was useful three by three individuals, right? So, right. Could be three, used by three. So, not, so nine, nine total wishes. Right. Um, so it had an expiration date. Well, the previous owner to, to Morris, um, this scary moment was he, Morris imparts what the last wish of the previous owner was. And that was mm. for his own, for his own death. So, you yeah. know, clearly, Bum bum bum. That's where the the lightning strikes outside the house. But to me, read this the scariest and and I don't actually know. I mean, we can talk about this. This does bleed into theme, but um, it's very on the nose. The scariest line, the scariest moment, and and really kind of the whole story can be boiled down. It's 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 massive. Thirty pages can be boiled down to this <laughs> one this one little quote really um it's once mr white has been uh presented with 
the paw and all it's capable of, um, you get this impression of him kind of, you know, just kind of glancing around his little house and, and there's his wife and there's his adult son. What he says is, I don't know what to wish for. And that's a fact. It seems to me that I've got all I want. And I, I don't know, man, that just really more than the mom barreling down the, the, the stairs to try to open the door on the cadaverous son. To me, right. that, that hits like a ton of bricks because, sure. because the story doesn't end there. <laughs> yeah. Right. The story doesn't end with where it should, which is with his happiness and peace and contentment. Yes. It, it, you know, it, the corner gets turned into temptation and, and he follows mm-hmm. it because that's the, Oh man. See, that's the thing. But I, I, you know, I don't want to plow through just like a bull in a china shop with this theme. But what it makes me think of is it makes me think of the the thrust behind ninety five, if not a hundred percent, of modern advertising of telling relatively content people you are not content unless you have this thing, unless you unless you have acquired uh, this this missing thing. Well, I didn't even know anything was missing. It didn't feel like anything was missing. I'm not quite sure that I am missing anything. It seems to me I have all I want, as in Mr. White's language. But they drag you into this feeling like, no, you need more. You need something else. Something is mm. missing. Something must yeah. be missing. And that is, it, it really spins the story in a way that I, you're right, that, it, that it, it's present in the narrative, but it reframes kind of what I was, was going to say about it was mostly the, the theme that I had, which I'm actually going to shift to incorporate more of what you've just said. I was just going to talk about the shortcuts to wish fulfillment that like a lot of times we want to take the easiest or quickest route to something that we have hopes and dreams for in the future. But you're highlighting that line. I think I only want to just glance past my theme and and spend a little bit more time on what you've just articulated, because I think that really is something we have to be more mindful of in this modern day setting of not allowing ourselves to ignore our own contentment. Like, I feel like there's a great many people who definitely have longings or dreams or ambitions or hopes, but the unfortunate and insidious nature of the culture around us states it it automatically distrusts contentment. Like, really? You're really content? No, what's really going on? Right, right. What's really? You're you're selling me something. What's really going on? You need this thing. Yes. And... I definitely think it is possible to be relatively happy and relatively content, but then suddenly you are made aware of something or somebody asks you a question of like, well, why don't, why don't you want more? Why don't you sure, want more out of life? Sure. And then now suddenly you're like, why don't I want more? I should want more. Don't right. I want more? Why don't I, why don't I want more? Let me go find more. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, struggling up against a midlife crisis or maybe a young life crisis or something. Well, what's fascinating to me about this text, um, I think all of what we're talking about thematically is appropriate to this particular piece, but I don't read Mr. White as I, I don't see in the text, him turning from being content to being discontent. You know what I mean? Like, right. The, the, right. the so, so, Um, I think what I'm trying to say is like, it's an odd sort of moment in the actual text for him to make this choice, right? It's really just kind of, well, yeah, it'd be nice to have two. I wish for $200. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's almost, and, and, and so I think there's a way in which that makes the, the, the story actually that much more tragic because it is so nonchalant 
You know, he right. isn't, he isn't craving for particular things, but you know, to, to, to pivot, to dive into some of what you're talking about. I think a lot of that, I think about that a lot in relationship to for better or worse, some of these just stereotypes apply to what it means to be a, a, a married man in 2017, like the, to, to work what, at what point, and, and maybe this is my, my wife would say the Enneagram four in me, this sort of whimsical or rather not whimsical, but wistful, you know, kind of occasionally melancholy, you know, always sort of considering or pining for something else kind of whether it's material goods or, or change of scenery or whatever, this, this, this story is such a cautionary tale to spurning one's own contentment. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. You know, the, 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 the call to be present in your circumstances. Right. Um, it's very challenging. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even, even when those circumstances I think, I think the other sort of horror to it is even when those circumstances turn from relative contentment to deep sorrow, like they don't stop after the first wish, you know, and that's, that's what's really fascinating about it is that they've already seen this device to be rather, uh, malevolent that, yeah, they wish for $200, which is utterly innocuous or what not to, is 200 pounds. I mean, the, do you have to have two hundred pounds? I don't have two hundred dollars. <laughs> well, don't um, wish for it, buddy. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like the, their wish, their first wish is relatively innocuous, but then they don't stop when they've already seen that that is only going to bring about this sort of dark side. Then she goads him into wishing for their son back. Right. And right. and again, to your point. He, 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 although he was perfectly content the first time he wished for the $200 and although a part of him knew it was a bad idea, a large part of him knew it was a bad idea. He still wished for his son back. Right. And, and it's that, it's that pull that, that drive that I don't know that I don't know if it's, if it's that old adage of curiosity killing the cat or whatever. If there's just a, if there's just this, this beating drum of we have to. You know, Pandora has to open the box. We have to turn the doorknob. We have to look under the the covers. You know, whatever it is that we've got to just press in and we've got to just see. I can remember. Okay, so I am going to talk about politics for a minute. For just a brief brief second. Okay, I'm ready. But I am not talking about a specific politician. I'm talking about an idea that I heard prominently during the 2000. 16 election mm-hmm. that fits thematically what we're talking about. Many people would make the case, it, conservatives would make the case, and what they would say is they would say Donald Trump's unknown is a better risk to take sure. than known. Hillary Clinton's yeah. known. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't yeah, want yeah. us, Back I actively don't want us. Back away slowly. I <laughs> know, right? You, I actively don't want ball. us to get. <laughs> Put down the monkeys. Right, right, right. Um, I actively don't want us to go there because it's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is the fact that someone could find an idea like that logical. Sure. To find an idea that like, hey, ignore the risks because we don't know what will happen. Right. Versus, 
you know, accepting the risks that we do know will happen. And, you know, there may be listeners who might take the other perspective and say, like, no, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. You know things are going to go badly over here. It could be bad, could be good over here. But I just find the logical perspective, uh, or I would call it somewhat illogical, but I find the, the mental perspective that says the unknown with all these risks is a safer bet than the known in sure. this other direction. And and that's what I think is fascinating about clutching a monkey's paw and like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, right, and they right. even joke about it a little bit like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go and find it sitting on my bed. I know. You know, I'm gonna, I know. You know it's going to be so, it's going to be so benign and it's going to be so easily obtainable. But it, it reminds me of this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this in the mix and then back off of it a little bit because I don't think the analogy works greatly, but it reminds me a little bit of the witch, the movie, the witch, um, how okay. the, the, uh, through just unfortunate, circumstances partly of their own design partly of just the the universe conspiring against them this family just falls apart right right because i keep thinking about you know the to me the scariest element in the text is that line of mr white's about contentment or having everything he's got needs right, right. the scariest part to me not in the text is the day the week the month the year the decade after that story ends no. this this marriage is over it's over yeah because yeah. she knows, she knows that he did it, and mm-hmm. and and you can envision easily envision a scenario where the wife can't let go of the possibility that he was wrong. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. Yeah, and that's just that's so heartbreaking. You know that that man. This is this is clicking on some cylinders with me. So my wife was just reading. Gosh, I can't remember the actual context of what she was reading, but it was about existentialism and like regret and life and greener pastures and all this sort of stuff. And she, cause right. she was reading some of this aloud to me. I can't remember the con- the, the source material, but basically this author was saying, you'll get the promotion, but you're going to, you'll have regret. You won't get the promotion and you'll have regret. Um, you will marry the person you think you're supposed to marry and you'll end up with regret. You will not marry the person you think you're supposed to marry. And like basically laying out all these life choices and how just existentialism means we're gonna, by virtue of the fact that you're human and your psychology is what it is, there are parts of you that will wonder and regret about the choice you made. There, the point right. the author was trying to make is there is no perfect choice. You know, sure, life sure. is a series of choices best made in the context in which we are self-aware enough to um, can't comprehend them. The problem with the story of the monkey's paw is there was no choice necessary for him to make. You know what I mean? It wasn't like. Right. I can choose to move my family closer to the factory or we can say we're at. He was fully content and innocuous, a seemingly innocuous choice presented itself and it wrecked his life. You know, right. I don't, you know, derive what themes you want out of that, but I don't exactly know where to go from there. Well, I think maybe that's a good time to like in response to that. So I actually shifted mid conversation what scripture I was going to bring in. The original scripture that I had was, you know, along those lines about, you know, shortcuts and, you know, taking quick routes to wish fulfillment and everything like that. But I think just pulling simply on First Timothy chapter six and verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm. Very wow. simple to the point. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And it, it's funny to think about that in the context of this conversation and to know that living your, you know, to 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 use 
another passage of scripture to, you know, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, just simple, simple, contented living, right? navigating through the world. I could conceive where that would be far greater gain than a mountain of riches and a sure. mountain of, of anything that you could ever want. Because there is this allure that says, you know, if, if we only, if we only reach this place, Either we right, only reach right. this place financially or we only acquire this thing, then we will be happy. Fa- happiness will be found there. It's like it's it's in a metaphorical sense, like trying to locate that end of the rainbow sure. where it's constantly eluding you because the rainbow is essentially an illusion, as is this right. journey towards a, a a contentment that you don't already have at present with you. Right. And um, it is remarkably convicting. To think about something like this and to think about the areas in my life where I might, given a hard day or given a challenging day, uh, might be very down on certain circumstances or might be very down on whether, you know, work life or finances or whatever might be very down on certain situations. But just to take a step back and and maybe adopt uh, Mr. White's beginning of the story attitude and say, you know, I, I, I don't know what more I would wish for. Um, well, but know, isn't, doesn't it sort of beg the question, uh, you know, this, I don't want us to start down a whole other path here, but relative to what you're saying, this, this sort of question, this inquiry keeps popping into my head of like, circumstances will never exist, especially in our loud, noisy, fast, claustrophobic culture we live in. Circumstances will never exist in such synchronicity that you are thus content. Right. It strikes me that now, yes, this is 1902. The, you know, the default nature of society was far more simplistic. Um, but at least fast forward 120 years is not now contentment a matter of the will. I, I totally agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. Which isn't to suggest, Oh, I'm, my circumstances suck. I'm just going to choose to be content. I, I, that's not really what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but. But you will always crave and covet and at least at minimum eyeball that next thing. Right. Yes. I mean, I know that's I am greatly prone to that, you know, whether it's a financial situation, whether it's a new shiny toy, whether it's whatever, you know, like these things we just sort of like, oh, I heard that thing is out and I'd I'd Mm -hmm. be interested in having that, you know, like whatever it is. Well, and and I think it's I think it is. I don't know. I made this phrase up. Maybe somebody else said something like this somewhere else. So if I if I'm stealing it, I don't know uh, specifically that I'm stealing it. I said to somebody in one of my more feisty, frustrated moments, and I will use the uh, the PG version of this uh, instead of the R-rated version that I used at the time. I said, "Yeah, the fact of the matter is, the grass is greener on the other side because it's full of crap." Right. And you can pursue and chase whatever you think is waiting for you on that on that other end. And you can choose not to. You can choose, you can actively choose to say, nope, I'm going to put this down. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to be where I am. And this is in line with the same subject. And maybe, you know, by way of possibly winding us down, that it is a psychological reality that if you focus on what you are grateful for rather than what you are missing, your perspective on your world and your circumstances will change. And it does not seem to matter from a psychological perspective exactly how dire or resourceful your circumstances are um that that if you shift towards gratitude versus towards lack that uh something in the mental 
pathways, in the neural pathways, something shifts and changes and you begin to see your world differently. And that is, to your point, absolutely a matter of the will. That is absolutely a matter of a choice that you can make at present right now. And obviously, there's a there's also a psychological reality to despair or to discouragement. And the scriptures themselves say a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yes, there is a place for longing and there is a place for for need. But I think we too often dismiss, particularly in modern American cultures, we too often dismiss the capacity that contentment can bring us and the capacity sure. that just being willing to say, I am thankful for what I have. And I, as Mr. White said, you know, I, I'm, I, I, it seems I have all that I would want. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the story in front of me, so I don't remember exact, his exact language, but yeah, it, it's, it's really convicting to be honest with you. And, uh, I, I should be more grateful in my own life. It's, it's good to hear that. It's like a, a nice, Nice stiff drink. Uh, it's a nice Biblius drink. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah. I mean, unless that's a, that's a that's a I don't know what else you got. That's a great way uh, to end. Yeah. It. So we come, let's uh, let's go ahead and we wind come down. full circle. Yeah. Let's go ahead and wind down the conversation, uh, listeners. We're actively not going to uh, acquaint ourselves with our our friend David S. Pumpkins only because uh, we kind of want to keep that to film. But I do think you and I would both agree. We cannot strongly enough recommend that you seek out. I mean, we've spoiled it all if you didn't pause and, and read. But the, the language is so good. I mean, oh, it, really it is, is so good. And in it, fact, and it, it's funny. I went to I went to acclimate myself with some of the trivial bits on Wikipedia, and it you know as Wikipedia does, it'll have the plot section, and it literally because oh, yeah. the plot's so thin, it literally tells you the whole story. But I'm like, oh, this is so gross reading this because it's like. <laughs> Not pretty language at all. Right, right. And then this happens, and then this happens, and then a monkey's yeah. paw enters the story. Anyway. Yes. No, I, Re I read yeah. the story. Please go read the story. It's public domain. I actually feel a little sorry that you paid 99 cents for it because you could probably Google search and find the whole text. But that's all right. That's all right. There it is. It's also worth your dollar. <laughs> it is worth um, your dollar. So, uh, so yeah, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, somewhat of a diversion from our normal format of content, because as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Uh, if you have more to add to this discussion of contentment and gratitude um, to the monkey's paw, or if you have uh, some other short stories or some other pieces of literature that you'd be curious for us to check out at some point, we would uh, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us in a variety of ways. Uh, the easiest and probably fastest way to reach us is through Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us there. You can uh, comment on the posts we leave there or post there yourself. You can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Rouse. You can also go to morethanonelesson.com, leave a comment on this post uh, or any of the other official posts for this show. You can also visit iTunes and leave us an iTunes review. We would greatly appreciate that. You can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, the nominations for hashtag I love the 90s are closed, but we would still love to hear from you. We love getting your emails and uh, we very much appreciate them. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for uh, pushing us in this direction. I think this, yes. is, uh, this has been a really great conversation. It's enriched I'm me a lot. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that I wished for it, but <laughs> I am glad we did it. Uh, as am I, as am I. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, check out what we're check out social media to see where we're headed next week, and uh, and thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you then. See you guys. I held the monkey.
Show me 